Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. I don't think I've ever put the in front of my name until just now, so we'll see <laughs> we'll see how that flies with the uh, listening audience. Probably not very well. <laughs> well, no, 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 not that you let him I didn't say the, I said the. I'm not like, I'm about. the Captain Kickass, right? I said I'm the Captain I'm the Kickass. Captain. So, yeah. Please <laughs> bring me my wine? Wait, no. Yes, that's uh, the one. Anyway. No, that's not the one. No, it's not the one? The one you were singing just now is not the Please Bring Me My Wine. Oh, right, Captain. yeah. One's from oh, the Eagles. Oh, oh, the no. The other one's, uh, I can't I, remember the artist. Uh, but I'm there is Captain. something about wine in that Please one, Please bring me my ship, right? That's the one. Mm. But who is that? Who Who's the artist? Is that the line in that song? Yeah. I'm your captain. Yeah. I'm, I'm your captain. captain. Please bring me okay. my Please return ship. me my ship. Return me. That's what it is. I'm, thinking, I'm confusing bring me my wine, me my wine with return, return me to my, my ship. ship. Yes. Yeah. In fact, All if you could do both, yeah. right, please bring me my wine and return me to my ship, because at times I want off this planet so badly. Oh, so bad these days. We could talk about masks, of course. That seems to be uh, a popular topic amongst Walmart's the media. Walmart's backing down. I heard Walmart and Home Depot are saying, "Oh, we're we're not gonna, yeah. we're not gonna, not gonna, not gonna mm. enforce our our thing that we said we were gonna." Grand Funk. Uh, oh yeah, close, it is GFR. Closer to home. Yes. I, or in parentheses, I'm your captain. Yes. Mm. I, there's, there's I a love few, Grand Funk. What's with the ship songs and the repetitiveness? A researcher created a weird AI Yankovic algorithm that generates parodies of existing songs, and now the record industry is accusing him of copyright violations. Hmm. <laughs> so somebody wrote a program, arguably a computer program, piece of software, mm-hmm. that takes lyrics from existing songs and and generates parodies of them and of course now the record industry is like we can't have that that's a violation of copyright now which of course parody is definitively not because copyright has a parody exception that you can drive a truck through right it's called fair use right Mm -hmm. fair use applies to education satire comedy parody news Mm -hmm. uh you know these types of things however that being said uh A researcher has created this algorithm that uses artificial intelligence to create new lyrics that match the rhyme and syllable schemes of existing songs. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. If it works. (laughs) Although, if it's an an artificial intelligence, then they should be suing the artificial intelligence, not the man. Correct. Just as soon as they prove they have jurisdiction over it. Right. Mark uh, Rydell, a researcher at Georgia Tech, he told Vice that he created his weird AI Yankovic algorithm as a personal project. The algorithm's name is inspired by the parody singer Weird Al Yankovic, who does something similar, taking existing songs, creating his own spinoff version with new lyrics. One of his most popular parodies is White and Nerdy, a take on Raiden uh, by rappers uh, Chameleon Air and Crazel Bone. Uh, as Vice notes, however, Yankovic reportedly asks the original artist for permission before creating his parody of a given song. Rydell does not, 
and it's landed him in hot water. Now, that's because uh, the average person can't just call up Coolio and ask him a question. I right. suspect it's a little easier if you're already an accomplished musician to say, hey, have your people get in touch with Coolio's people, and then, like, you know, it happens. Hey, Coolio, Weird Al's on the phone. Really? Right. Let me have that call, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, you know. Uh, also, this particular author but if has, it's, you know, has strange not, Dan, not so likely. Right. <laughs> right. This uh, particular author also has not done the research on the law. If he did or she, they would have realized before writing this article that uh, fair use does apply. But anyway, uh, Rydell posted a video on Twitter on May 15th with AI-generated lyrics and the instrumental part of uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It. On July 14th, Twitter took it down after the International Federation of Phonographic Industry, a coalition of some of the record industry's biggest companies. I've never heard of that group. <laughs> I, I mean, Me neither. The law very specifically states that uh, fair use applies to satire, comedy, education, news, right, that kind of thing. That's why you can watch highlights of, like, the football game on the mm-hmm. evening news, because they don't have to petition for copyright from the NFL. Commenting NSM, on it, right. news. They can co- right, commentary. Social commentary is another uh, fair use act in the fair use law. Now, yeah. this is United States copyright law, and I only say this because I'm very familiar with this kind of thing. At any rate, uh, (laughs) the doctrine covers parody work amongst other stipulations. Uh, He says, I would argue that my system is generating parody lyrics and that I do not require permission from the copyright holder Mm. to publish parody content. He said he hadn't heard back from Twitter, though, I I guess, about this. Uh, That is correct. He says, I am not a lawyer, however. And he spoke with Casey Fleischer, an information science professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, who agreed that Rydell's video should be protected under fair use. And I agree as well. Uh, As Vice explores, uh, this debacle has raised a host of questions pertaining to the intersection of technology and copyright usage, including how algorithm-generated work should be contextualized under fair use and how copyright laws should or could evolve to adapt to the advancements in technology like AI. I wanted to say that as a parody artist, uh, I've had, and I'm not even like well-known, right? You know, I'm underground as far as a parody artist is concerned. Um, But I've had literally hundreds of people come to me and go, oh, hey, dude, I've got a great parody idea for you. you It's this. And they'll just give you the title of this or the main, you know, verse or chorus of the song. And they'll be like, yeah, you should write a parody to that. And it's like, well, okay, but that's not the hard part, right? The easy part is listening to the most popular part of the song or the most repetitive part of the song and making up something new to that. The hard part is matching words and syllables and rhymes to the rest of the song. And so just once, just once, just once, I would love for somebody to hand me a finished <laughs> written parody song with all the syllables and rhymes matched to the original song and then go, never, here you go, never Captain, happen. do that one. So I, I know it'll never happen. But that's why this particular article intrigued me. Also, because I'm a musician, I spent 22 years playing in heavy metal bands in Seattle, Washington, plus doing parodies and a lot of other fun stuff. Um, I am not a believer in IP. Right, that's intellectual property. Intellectual property for those of you who uh, aren't down with the acronyms. Uh, yeah, IP, which is copyright law, right? So, as far as I'm concerned, if I make a piece of music and I put it on the internet, you want to use it somewhere? Go ahead. Go for it. You want to sample it somewhere? You go right ahead. Because to me, that's free advertising. Here are the the lyrics for Wonderwall in 
but not Wonderwall. So what, what he's what he's doing, by the way, and what got his video taken down, or at least what led to it, was he's generating a karaoke video to go along with the lyrics that the computer generates. And the karaoke video has the track, right? Uh, so the, the instrumental track backing so the, it. So the algorithms on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all that are recognizing the music as copywritten material Correct. and Ooh. auto-flagging it. Even though on right. the screen... There are lyrics that are coming up that are showing different lyrics, lyrics, but the sound is no different than uh, than whatever the normal song would sound like in the instrumental kind of version. So uh, I'm just going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to try to sing them because I don't have music. Give us your best Shatner spoken Uh, word. He thinks he has knows how to make tea or cookies for me to enjoy them. I know, I know. At three o'clock, and day my cat is mifem. I know my cat is fluffy when seven in the afternoon comes around. I know my cat is at five o'clock in the morning and seven. I know. I know he says hello to his friend is Harry McNevin. I know my cat said hello to all the people in New York and London. I know he says hello to all the people. You feel so happy and my name is Teeple. <laughs> I, I think Harry McNevin is a great band name. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. We are Harry McNevin. It's fall of fall. Um... And like I said, it's uh, it's every time it's posted on YouTube, it keeps getting taken down oh, by their administration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I um, see a copy of it here it, on YouTube. Uh, it currently has 482 views. It was posted April 25th. Uh, it is on a mm-hmm. channel which it looks like a German name that I cannot pronounce. Kritsch Blieben. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying curse. I don't know if these are curse words in German, but <laughs> Sebst Denken. Uh, the, the, I hope the, you're not reading something out of Mein Kampf right yeah, now. The or title, summoning demons. Or the, uh, <laughs> the title of this is Fall of Cabal hyphen The End of the World as We Know It hyphen Full English. It's about a three-hour movie, and yeah. it seems to be the one you're talking about where they're getting into some pretty esoteric uh pretty dark kind of deep themes looking at like uh there's the Pizzagate thing gets covered in here i saw yeah. some segments about that yep um and well, that the catholic needs church covered. epstein didn't yep. kill himself sure the catholic church and so on so i'm going to tell you that uh they have they haven't all been taken down i was able to find this relatively quickly when searching for it okay good good yeah cuz i was looking for it and i found it at bit shoot cuz there's part 1 of 10 but yeah. um the reason why i'm bringing it up is because like um when I was researching it more because nobody knew about it, uh, international news stations are talking about it. Hey, Daily Digestion listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. A man named Dan. And this man named Dan is the vocalist for a heavy metal band called Branch Davidian out of Massachusetts. I love the name of your band, by the way. It's a great name, Dan. Uh, You can hear us, right? You're back on the air. 
Yep, I can hear you. Thank awesome. You. Uh, during the break there, I was just checking out uh, some of your media. I see that you're on Encyclopedia Metallum. Uh, you have a Bandcamp page, which is branchdavidianofficial.bandcamp.com. And you also have a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash branchdavidian. So those are all pretty cool. You had called in and you were talking a bit about how, you know, you're not uh, agreeing with the lockdowns and the, the face diapers. Tell us more. Well, what I was saying in conclusion was um, when the vaccine comes out, we are getting it. all the tough guys that are saying, not over my dead body. You had five months to stop it. And again, no one could take a, a, a napkin off their face or a muzzle, whatever it was you guys called it. You're saying most of the people who you're saying that most of the people, you know, down in Massachusetts who will talk a good game about freedom they're masking up. They're doing what they're told. They're not even refusing 100%. that. There's a local showdown here. I won't say the name. I called in. Mm-hmm. And after I called, people flooded in, agreeing with me. We covered a story about a federal judge whose house was uh, knocked upon by somebody dressed in the uniform that appeared to be of a Federal Express type employee carrying a package or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, upon the door opening, this person shot and killed the judge's son and then also shot and injured the judge's husband. Mm-hmm. And that is newsworthy in and of itself. And it was sort of breaking mm-hmm. news. I think it had happened just the night before or that day. I think it's tragic when, uh, you know, the family members of these government goons yes. get taken taken out. I, you know, it's not their fault. They the kid was just born into that situation, you know, whoever he is. I mean, he may be a bad kid. I don't know. But he got shot to death for, you know, ostensibly what his mother was doing. Right. Uh, ostensibly. Ooh, the judge. That, that seems to be the case. And the reason I say that now is because uh, since Monday, we have learned through the news that this judge had been assigned to the Epstein Deutsche Bank case just last week. Hmm. Oh, isn't that special? Who signed her to that? Could it have been Satan? Beelzebub? <laughs> the Prince of Darkness? The Almighty God case? of the Underworld? Satan? Judge Salas was assigned to a class action lawsuit a group of investors filed against Deutsche Bank, contending that the firm failed to flag questionable transactions that were made from the account of the financier Jeffrey Epstein, who died last August allegedly while in jail awaiting trial and sex trafficking charges. So this judge was assigned to a class action lawsuit that a group of mm-hmm. investors filed against this bank, huh. uh, contending that they failed to yeah. flag Epstein's transactions. I don't mm. know. Still, that, I mean, that tells me a little bit. I'm not expecting you to know anything about this, but... Uh, it still doesn't really explain to me what exactly they are alleging here. I mean, the the fact the bank didn't didn't flag certain transactions. What did that lead to on the part of these investors? And are the vet investors investors in Deutsche Bank or are they investors in something that Epstein had uh, had put together? Well, let's see. Uh, th- quote: This month, Deutsche Bank agreed to pay a hundred and fifty million dollar fine for compliance failures in its dealings with Epstein, a convicted sex offender, as well as uh, Danks Bank Estonia and FBME Bank. The Financial Times reported this. A few days later, plaintiffs led by Ali Karimi filed the lawsuit that is being overseen by Judge Salas. So it sounds like a countersuit or an additional suit. I don't know. 
the U.S. They, Marshals, they're paying fine for uh, compliance failures. That fine's going to go to the government, I would think. I would think so too. Yeah, but did they say it was a shareholder suit? Said investors. Was investors, the term. right? Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, it sounds like a shareholder suit, yeah. where as shareholders of it's a company, action. you can sue them for failing to exercise uh, their responsibilities. Good, good business judgment, basically. That yeah. sounds exactly like mm-hmm. what this is. Okay, that could be. Uh, so the U.S. Marshals and the FBI have already launched an investigation into the attack. The FBI is investigating, blah, 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 federal agents, yada, yada. So uh, basically the thing, I find it weird that, you know, we had this news. We had that, you know, a judge's family had been shot. Her son had been killed. It was done by a guy in a FedEx costume who was later found dead, apparently of mm-hmm. self-inflicted, allegedly and of self-inflicted And he himself was a lawyer. So this wasn't just some loser. It was a guy with, you know, he was one of the anointed ones, one of the privileged. I've been going to the protests uh, semi-frequently, and I just wanted to give my uh, experience on the political ideology and the police actions there. Yes, please tell us us about what happened. Yeah, so I just want to go into, like, the actual, like, just the the people, the group people there. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Like, the media kind of shows them all as, like, Marxists. But from my experience, there's, like, a small segment of Marxists that seem to act as, like, accelerators. But the majority of people actually seem to actually be fairly libertarian. Like I was actually talking to some uh, an Antifa person. Mm-hmm. I identified myself as like an anarcho-capitalist. I was kind of talking about how like markets themselves are kind of like socialistic in the sense that they redistribute wealth. They're kind of regulatory. Mm-hmm. And they actually tried to recruit me into like one of their organizations like, as like an organizer. Huh. And so like just talking to people, a lot of them seem like kind of like unideological or just like heavily libertarian leaning. That's the first I've wow. heard of, of that kind of thing. Uh, what else did you see, like, firsthand? You've been there. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so, like, I was I went to a few times when it was just a local police handling thing. And local police, for example, you have, like, a federal building, and then you have, like, this fence around it. And the protests have been just, like, basically just, like, protesting the federal government and Black Lives Matter. And occasionally there's, like, this movement to rip down the fence. And when the when the local police were dealing with it, at most they would tend to well, they would do some police brutality, but they tended to sort of like just gas the fence area. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who don't know, nobody can you describe how the you know these courthouses and police stations and you know government buildings uh, are monuments of slavery? Um. Well, I mean, basically, at the end of the Civil War, slavery was made. Um, and, and really throughout the 20th century, more than that, uh, slavery became eternal as we all be, were forced to become taxpayers. What is a taxpayer but a part-time slave? If you're working and the benefit's going to somebody else, then you and you don't have any choice about that, then you are enslaved to exactly the extent of your tax rate. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's 15 percent or 20 percent or whatever your tax rate is. I'd argue that you're taxed at about half of your income in the Mm -hmm. U.S. in general. But uh, certainly uh, if somebody takes 100 percent of your life's effort, that is, you know, what we know as, you know, slavery, right? Overt style. And it's not just straight up taking it. It's also making you use it in ways you don't want to. If you are dealing with a bank that you consider to be your enemy because your friends aren't permitted to do business, then to the extent that that inconveniences you, you've been enslaved, you know? Right. Your your rights to control your 
your stuff have been taken from you. And so if taking 100% of your life's effort is slavery, at what percent is it no longer slavery? Is it 50%? Is it 25%? Is it 5%? Yeah, a couple months back uh, when the BBC gal was there doing a bit on FTL, she asked why I take the position that economic issues of, associated with the lockdown would kill people mm-hmm. and how it's a, selfish, a very selfish position for us older folks because that's me. I'm in the high high risk category. Okay. For us older folks to take a position that because our lives might be in danger, therefore all of you have to suffer. And I said it was going to kill people. And and now, uh, after all this time, we're finding that there's a UN report saying that there may be 10,000 children per month uh, dying of starvation due to this uh, the economic problems associated oh, 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 with not on. the not the virus, but our reactions to the virus. So the lockdowns and that kind of thing, the fact that uh, you know distribution has taken a hit, the fact that uh, you know restaurants were closed, and you know other food, uh, you know distribution agencies, you know have obviously cut their things in half. We saw people throwing away food and all that kind of stuff because they couldn't get it shipped in time before it spoiled. Things of that nature. Is that kind of what you're talking about? That and the, uh, you know, just the fact that people have lost their jobs and uh, the economy is no longer flowing like it was. There is no, the trade has been slowed down and restricted to the point where uh, we've seen shortages of stuff that we've never seen shortages of before. All of the previous studies before coronavirus said that these masks didn't do, uh, were very ineffective. You know, if they are effective, it's so such a tiny amount, mm-hmm. can't be measured. So now then they came out with one in March that said, oh, all of a sudden, masks are suddenly effective for some strange reason. Right. Well, there's another another study just came out a month ago, and it's a uh, in one of these journals. I can't remember which one, it's, but it's a respected journal that's the published a new, new England, study. New England Journal of Medicine, maybe? It, it could be, okay. yes. And now this study agrees with all of the previous historical studies, and it says that the effectiveness of masks are... So, uh, un, un, uh, they're not understood. It, yeah. It's not understood, but it is understood that if there is an effect, it's very small, if, if anything. So, this mask stuff is just crazy. I, I, I'm almost well. You I'm obviously 68. hate people, and you want them to all to die yeah. if you don't wear a mask. Yeah, hmm. I'm I'm 68 years old, and I've never seen anything like this in my life. And oh, I know. I'm you know. You know, I guess I'm glad I'm checking out soon. Right. You guys are going to have to. We got to live through this crap. You're going to have to deal with all this insanity. Um, But I feel sorry for my children, my grandchildren. As most of us probably know, um, a lot of conservatives are liberals from five years ago, I guess you could say. But (laughs) okay. uh, what I was going to what I was going to go into was is uh, Charlie Kirk, a man who is retweeted by Trump a lot happens to have some positions, including um, he thinks that Japan is not multiracial enough um, because I think they're, what, like 98% Japanese? I don't know. Maybe somebody else has the figures. Okay. But um, not only that, you know, that's kind of, like, weird. I don't know. It's like, you know, they're just a good country doing whatever they're doing or what. I don't know if they're good, you know, government-wise, whatever, but they seem nice. But, um not just that, also Charlie Kirk, somebody, I don't think Trump should retweet him if he's 
bringing gay people on stage and saying that our party is about gays. Like, I understand if you accept somebody for being gay mm-hmm. and coming to the Republican Party or being conservative, but like coming on there and literally promoting it is pretty bad. Michelle Malkin actually talked about it, but I thought I'd bring notice to it. And I just think we should just really it's not like we should just like be mean to all of our fellow conservatives, but we should shame them when they're not like. Well, I'm not a conservative, so I don't know who you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a libertarian. Uh, my experience with conservatives is that they obsess about other people's sex lives, and they want to um, they want to impose their will on people as much as the liberals do. To evade pre-prohibition drinking laws, New Yorkers created the world's worst sandwich, uh, and it was created uh, out of some new laws that were passed in the prohibition area. It was everywhere at the turn of the 20th century. And it was also inedible. Oh boy. (laughs) So, uh, near the end of the 19th century, New Yorkers out for a drink partook in one of the more unusual rituals in the annals of hospitality. When they ordered an ale or a whiskey, the waiter or bartender would bring it out with a sandwich. Generally speaking, the sandwich was not edible. It was, quote, an old desiccated ruin of dust-laden bread and mummified ham or cheese, unquote, wrote the playwright Eugene O'Neill. Was this because there was like a mandate that they had to serve food or something? Was it one of those things? We're going to learn about that Mm -hmm. momentarily. Other times it was made of rubber. Bar staff would commonly take the sandwich back seconds after it had arrived, as if it were just sort of a prop. Yeah, okay. And then pair it with the next beverage order and whisk it over to another patron's table immediately. (laughs) Some sandwiches were kept in circulation for a week or more. Yeah, this is definitely the doings of government. Yeah, only government can serve you a crap sandwich like this, and only the doings of government would uh, only get Only government bars. can make them keep selling you the same crap sandwich over and over again. <laughs> it didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, apparently it came uh, from Republican reformers who were upset with public drunkenness, particularly on Sunday for some reason, you heathens. Uh, the New York Republicans spoke for a constituency largely comprised of rural and small-time churchgoers, but the party had also gained a foothold in Democratic New York City, where a 37-year-old firebrand named Theodore Roosevelt had been pushing a law and order agenda as president of the city's newly organized police commission. Roosevelt, a supporter of the Reign's law, predicted that it would, quote, solve whatever remained of the problem of Sunday closing, unquote. Of course, it solved nothing. New York at the time was home to some 8,000 saloons. The seediest among them were dimly lit, foul-smelling, rickety-chaired, stale beer dives. So nothing much has changed, apparently, mm, yeah, since then. Yeah, sounds like a New York bar to me. That ca- They catered to vagrants, shipless sailors, incompetent thieves, and aging streetwalkers. Again, New York seems, you know, like the same New York. New York. If you can make it there. If you can make it there, you'll make it anywhere as an aging hooker in New York. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, 1896 Reigns Law was designed to put dreary watering holes like these out of business. Ah. It raised the cost. That's what it was. Yeah, listen to this. It raised the cost of an annual liquor license to 800 bucks. Whoa, now what year was this? 1896. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. 
You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.